0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John.
1: Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is for you with every sunrise. What does he mean when he says, he that believeth and believeth in me shall never die? Well, it means that You and I live forever. Every soul of every human being lives forever. The question is, where will your soul live? Will you spend eternity in heaven? Will you spend eternity separated from God in hell? Now, God wants none to perish but all to come to repentance. It is not God's desire nor His pleasure that anyone should die and be sentenced to eternal separation from Him. But we have to make a choice that we would choose Him.
0: Where will you spend eternity? In today's message from Pastor Gary, he urges you to not wait to receive salvation from the Lord. It's God's desire that no one would perish, but that all would come to the saving knowledge of Him. But you have a choice to make. You either receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or receive eternal separation from Him. Pastor Gary encourages you that Jesus came so that you could have life, and have it more abundantly receive his free gift of saving grace and eternal life today. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John chapter 11 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: So that's kind of what's happening here with Lazarus. Like, is is this guy really dead? Yes, Jesus has to tell them plainly. Yes, I, I just was using a euphemism for the idea of sleep because this is not final. Yes, in fact, he says there in verse 14, Lazarus is dead. And he says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus intentionally waits these two more days. He just got word that one of his closest friends is sick and near death. You would probably do what, what I would do. You know, the natural impulsive reaction would be, wow, we, I got to go to this, I got to go, I got to go. And Jesus, in the scriptures, he, he just was never hurried, he was never rushed, he was never impulsive, he was always attuned to the divine timing and the will of the Father. And I share this because it's important for us to remember that God's, and I put this in quotation marks, God's tardiness, because His timing is always perfect, but our perceived tardiness, God's tardiness, is not a reflection of indifference. God's tardiness is not a reflection somehow of His indifference. And I love the way that in this story, John goes out of his way to let us know how much Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus as well, because the sisters in verse 3, they sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. That word love there in the Greek is phileo, so he loves him like a brother. This is the, he has affection for Lazarus like a brother, And then John wants us to be reminded, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And that word loved in in that example in verse 5 is the Greek word agape, agapeo, to love with with the love of Christ, the love of the Lord. It's a deep love that comes through the bond of of Christ. So he loves them not only affectionately as, as like a brother, but he loves them deeply as only can come from the Lord himself and that we can share with one another in Christ because when we know him then we can love each other in the love of the Lord with that agape love. So I, I, I appreciate that John emphasizes this because sometimes we interpret that God's tardiness when God doesn't do something as quickly as we want him to do it. And he doesn't seem to be answering our prayers. And he doesn't seem to be, you know, doing things the way we hoped that he would do. And we've been praying, we've been asking him to do this and, and asking him to do that. And it's sometimes easy to interpret that when God is, quote, tardy, because we think he's not showing up on time, that it might be somehow a reflection of his indifference. And so for those of you who are taking notes, I just want to share three, three quick points from this story as we make our way through it. And the first one is the delay of God does not mean he loves us less. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that He has made everything beautiful in its time. And literally that Hebrew translates, He has made everything beautiful in His time. In His time. God has a perfect time. Some of you are anxious about why things haven't moved along, maybe in relationship or career or whatever it, it seems to be. And you've been praying about it. You've been asking the Lord, you know, please do this and please do that. And it seems to be no answer or a slow answer. And it's easy to get frustrated. And it's easy to become anxious and to become worried and afraid and all these kind of things. How how our emotions begin to take over when we feel like God is not replying. And his delay seems to be some kind of an indication that he must not love us as much. Because look at so-and-so. They've been praying and they got it you know, last week, and they only were praying like a day. I've been praying for like 10 years, and I don't see the answer. And so sometimes we get that whole thing confused, that his tardiness must be a reflection somehow of his indifference. But he's not tardy. His timing is always perfect, and his timing is perfect here as well. In fact, that's the second thing that we need to recognize in the story, that the timing of God is for the glory of God. Because if you'll notice there again in verse 4, twice the word glory is mentioned. In verse 4, it says, when he heard this... Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. Note that. So that God's Son may be glorified through it. And the only way that Jesus would be ultimately glorified through this is if they knew that it was a miracle. And the only way they would know it was a miracle is if they were certain that Lazarus was dead. If they had any confusion that, oh, Jesus came and, oh, you know, suddenly Lazarus just woke up. Maybe he really was only asleep. No, It's going to take us two days to get there, so I'm going to wait another two days so that by the time I get there after four days, he's going to be good and dead, that everybody will know this is a miracle of the Lord and that God will get glorified. And a lot of times what God will do in our lives, and I've said, I've kind of coined this expression over the years, His delay is often for His display. Because a lot of times it seems that He's slow in keeping His promises or He doesn't seem to be answering our prayers. But oftentimes it's so that He can be displayed in our lives. And we won't know that unless we are patient enough to watch how He unfolds His plans for us according to His perfect timing. So timing is critical here. Now, the sisters meet Him. When he gets there. So they head on their way after two days. Look at verse 17. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, but well, that's not where he was, but it's to explain the next verse. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So Bethany's just on the other side of the Mount of Olives, so it's only about two miles from Jerusalem. So a lot of the friends that they knew in Jerusalem are coming there to comfort them. Their brother has died. They're coming there to comfort Mary and Martha. Verse 20 says that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now, I've taught on this on several occasions, and some of you already know that, you know, my opinion about the tone, but I, and I've, I've said this before, and maybe I'll have to apologize to Mary and Martha when I see him, but I think they're sassy here. I just do. I think they say, I think they both are going to say the same thing to Jesus. And I think both of them have an attitude. They have a little bit of a tude here, all right? And I'm going to give you the evidence as to why based on Jesus' reaction in a little bit here. So when I read, you know, verse uh, 21, I hear tone, okay? I don't really, I read it a moment ago, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But I think, honestly, that it probably sounded more like, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Thanks a lot. (laughs) You know, he's dead now. You know, what took you so long? All right, that's what I'm hearing. Okay, now some of you might say it's unfair, but I'm, I'm going to tell you in a minute here why I think this. But then she kind of cushions it. You know how after you say something, oh that sounds kind of harsh. So then let me just add this. But, verse 22, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. You know, you're a little late. He's dead now. I sent word to you two days ago. But, you know, by the way, I know you can do whatever you want. Ha <laughs> ha. And Jesus says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, and here's this great verse, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he asks her, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So she makes a great profession of faith. She has that right. Her theology is right. I just think that, quite honestly, and you know, even though I say that, I think she spoke in a tone somewhat. I think it's understandable, I, in the sense of she's disappointed. If she sent word four days ago, at this point, two days. He stayed where he was. Two days it took him to get there. So, you know, she's probably devastated here. My brother has died, and Jesus comforts her about the fact that he's the resurrection of life. And she takes it long term. She goes, yeah, I know he's going to rise in the, in the great day of the resurrection. And he, and he makes it a little bit more immediate. Well, do you know that I'm the resurrection of life even now? Do you believe this? And she affirms who he is. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of God who was coming to the world. And after she had said this, it says in verse 28, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Okay? So Jesus first has this dialogue with Martha and uh, they have their little exchange and then Martha goes back to the house and says that Jesus was asking for you Mary and so Mary drops all her stuff and she goes out to see Jesus and, and notice here now verse 32 it's going to sound pretty familiar verse 32 and Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him she fell at his feet and said Lord if you'd have been here my brother would not have died now, is, is she worshiping him or is she, is she crying here? Is she saying this with an attitude? Now, here's the deal. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. I want you to circle that word, deeply moved. Circle that phrase, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. You can circle that word troubled also. And here's where, here's where I believe that Jesus is bothered by their reaction. And, I, and, I, and I'm not sure it's just the reaction that they, they, don't, they don't have as much faith as maybe they could at the moment. I, I think he's, he's troubled at the way that they have reacted towards him. The word trouble here in the Greek, when it says that he was troubled, is the Greek word terasso. It means agitated. Jesus is agitated here. It is the same Greek word that is used to describe the tossing of waves in a storm. That is what Jesus is feeling. He's agitated here. And deeply moved in spirit. Don't read that and think, oh, that sounds so compassionate. He's deeply moved in spirit. I know that's what it sounds like in English, but in the Greek, it's one word for that phrase, deeply moved in spirit. It is embromei, and it translates to groan. Check this out. Strong's Dictionary translates it to have indignation. Vine's Dictionary translates it to snort with anger as a horse. You get the picture here. He's not just, oh, I'm so deeply, oh, I'm so touched. Oh, he is snorting with anger like you would hear a horse, you know, that kind of a thing. All right. And what is he so troubled about? And why is he agitated? And why is he so disturbed here, snorting like a horse? Because he has people around him that are disappointed in him and are basically saying to him, if you'd have been here, thanks, you could have helped, but, but you showed up a little bit too late. And he's deeply moved in spirit. He's troubled here. And he says to them, where have you laid him? They replied, come and see, Lord. Lord. And then here's, here's the verse that everybody loves to quote that you can remember, but you don't often remember the, the, the chapter and verse, do you? John 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. And by the way, that word to weep, is the word dekruo. It's a different word in the Greek from their weeping. Now their weeping back up in verse 33 when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, that is the word kaleo in the the Greek, in the original language. Kaleo means to weep, to sob with emotion. When Jesus came over to Jerusalem and looked upon Jerusalem, which we're going to see in a couple more chapters on Palm Sunday, and he looks at Jerusalem and he says, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh I wish to have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks, but you are not willing and he he weeps over jerusalem it is the word kaleo two times in the bible that it mentions at least in the gospels that jesus wept in hebrews it talks about loud groanings and tears in addition unrecorded times but two times in the bible it talks about jesus weeping one was weeping over jerusalem that is the word kaleo loud sobbing and wailing But when he weeps here over Lazarus, it is a different word, de cruo, and it means to just shed a tear. He's not not sobbing like the sisters are and the rest of the mourners. Just a little shedding of a tear here. He wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, and here's where you get the idea also that there's just this attitude towards him. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Okay, that's the sentiment that I think is going throughout the crowd here. Maybe it was with Mary and Martha, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Jesus' reaction here, I think he's, he's troubled and he's deeply moved in spirit because of the reaction and the response that he's getting from these people. Well, it says here, verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, same Greek word, embromei. he's deeply moved here. This is, he, this is to groan, to have indignation. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. If you have a King James Bible, it sounds funny. It says, but Lord, by this time he stinketh. (laughs) It says it, doesn't it? If you have a King James Bible, it says he stinketh. Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus. Come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. See, they had already prepared him for burial. That was their way of embalming. They would, you know, not embalm the way we do today, but they would prepare a body with spices and they would wrap them with linens. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And you know, is there any mystery behind those words? No, it's practical. He's like, the guy can't walk. Take, un- untie the guy, all right? Take off his grave clothes and let him walk. And he comes back to life. And this is an incredible and, and marvelous miracle here where Lazarus, who was dead, was raised from the life. And then we hearken back to these words back up in verse 25. And by the way, this is one of those other moments here where Jesus is going to utter this I am, another I am statement, but I want you to notice here what is happening is that the power of God raises dead things to life. That is the crux of this story. The power of God raises dead things to life. And I I marvel at the miracle, but then I think to myself that Jesus is also the one who raises dead things to life that are not just only physical. I've seen people who have had a dead marriage and God has raised it to life. I've seen people who have had dead, dead dreams and, and dead ambitions and and felt like life wasn't worth living, and then the joy and the power of the Lord infuses their life, and now all of a sudden they have a renewed outlook on life, and they have the joy of the Lord in their heart, and man, God takes dead people and makes us alive. In Christ, and of course, He's the one who conquered sin and death by Himself rising from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. It is the fifth out of seven I am statements. These are the four we've already seen. Here's the fifth I am statement where He says, I am the, the resurrection and the life. There are two more that He mentions here in the Gospel of John. This is the fifth one on our list as we're making our way through the whole Gospel. But Jesus will be the one to rise from the dead. After his crucifixion, he is the one who holds the keys of sin and death and Hades and death. And so he's the one who can raise people from the dead. And he raises Lazarus from the dead, gives orders for them to take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, there's a reaction to all of this scene here. Let's finish out the chapter, verse 45. And therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. Yeah, you you would do if. He saw a dead man walking out of a tomb. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. Now note this, because he's going he's to say a word of prophecy without even knowing it. He says, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Now, notice what John adds here, verse verse 51. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples Today, Ephraim is believed to be an Arab village in the West Bank. It's called uh, Tebe. So he, he removes himself a little bit. And it says then, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest Him. And then we're going to head into, next week, Lord willing, we're going to head into then the final week of Jesus' life. You're going to see in chapter 12, He's anointed at Bethany, and then He's going to make His triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, into Jerusalem to celebrate the last of three Passovers during His earthly ministry. But here is this chapter where Jesus raises a dead man from the grave, Look, folks, this is the hope of the church because He is the resurrection and the life. And because He lives, we also shall live. And there will be a great and glorious day when the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them to meet the Lord in the air and so we shall be with the Lord forever. There will be a glorious resurrection from the dead. Now, what is the necessity for a resurrection if we already go to be with the Lord, our spirits who know Christ, we already go to heaven? Because there will come a day when we will get a glorified body that will be reunited with our spirits so that we will have a glorified body that will never perish like the one that Jesus has. So that is a separate event. But the good news is, folks, listen, knowing Christ, what does he mean when he says, he that believeth and believeth in me shall never die? Well, it means that You and I live forever. Every soul of every human being lives forever. The question is, where will your soul live? Will you spend eternity in heaven? Will you spend eternity separated from God in hell? Now, God wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. It is not God's desire nor His pleasure that anyone should die and be sentenced to eternal separation from Him. But we have to make a choice that we would choose Him. And Jesus dies on a cross to secure for us the resurrection from the dead. Meaning that when we die physically, our spirit separates from our body and our spirit goes to be with the Lord. And then one day, our our flesh that is rotten and returned to dust will once again be assimilated gloriously, miraculously into a glorified body that will be reunited with our spirit. And so we shall live with the Lord forever. I'm looking forward to that day. It is the hope of the church.
0: We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been going through the Book of John. If you missed any part of this message, you can hear it again on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You might want to download our mobile app so you have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd love to meet you. Please join us for worship and Bible study. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other info on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We hope and pray you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of John. Please know that we're praying for you too. Although we're out of time for today, keep reading on your own in the book of John until Pastor Gary continues teaching through this extraordinary account of Jesus' life on Cornerstone Connection.